Well, good morning. You guys ready to go? We are in uh, part four of our Overcome series, and my name is Matt Ritchie, and it's good to be with you today. Pastor Keith is here. He wasn't here earlier, but he is here now, and I'm a little nervous that my boss is in the room, okay? So I better shore up what I did in first service and uh, make sure it's a little better this time around. No, I'm kidding, but I do want to welcome you. If you are new with us today, if you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to give you just an easy first step. You can text the word new there to the number there on the screen. Um, That's just a good way for us to begin to connect connect with you, get your information. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to knock on your door or anything like that. But it is a way to just get your initial information and follow up with you. If you would like more than that, we have our next steps wall out here. And if you want to go talk to somebody, ask them about our church, our calendar, our events, our small groups, Bible studies, anything that you might be interested in, we'd love to share with you about what we offer as a church and how you might connect with us. So um, that's why we call it the next steps wall, because we believe everybody has a next step. So, and that's true, even if this is your first time with us, and I want to say welcome. Along with that, I want to remind you um, that our our giving um, campaign, uh, the, the land uh, uh, project is still ongoing. So for those of you who are regulars and you call Grace Bible Church home, if you've been wondering about how to give or support this endeavor, um, there are pledge cards in the back, there are giving boxes in the back, there's a pledge uh, button on our church app, the church center app, or on our website. And we are in the process of expanding and uh, trying to figure out what God has next for us. How many of you noticed there's a little bit of a, a a tough time finding a parking spot. Anybody notice that? Only two of you only had trouble. Wow. We're gonna have to talk about lying. <laughs> like, I don't know, I'm just joking. Uh, and, and this room is full. It's tough to find a seat. And so we are experiencing God's leadership and blessing as a church. And I'm so grateful for that. But we're just exploring what the next steps might be for grace. And so one of the indicators of that is, is his leadership and your, and your pledging and your giving. We don't wanna move forward. We don't wanna do anything that God is not leading us towards. But if you feel like God is calling you to give towards the expansion of our, of our facility and all that, you can uh, talk to us more about that and make your pledge um, there online or with the pledge cards. And if you have more questions, I'm not the lead pastor, so <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you. But All right, well, let's dive in. Revelation chapter two. We're going to start there. And I have the task this morning of hitting we're covering three of the seven churches that Jesus addresses there in the final book of his word. So we're gonna pick up in Revelation chapter two. And just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going, the kind of the key word for us is this word compromise. And uh, to, to kind of get us thinking about what, what that may mean in, in this context is I, I just thought I'd just share a story with you. My little Christian day school that I went to all through elementary, high school, whatever, we did not have spring break. How many, how many of you parents just love spring break? No one. Okay, so... Well, my parents, they didn't get spring break as far as the school calendar goes, so they created one for us, and they would get all of us kids, and we'd drive through the night. We'd leave Sunday night after church, and my dad is a pastor of a small church in in Western Pennsylvania. We'd pile up, uh, load up the vehicle, and drive like 18 hours straight all the way to Florida with no Game Boys, okay? So like, some of you are like, what's a Game Boy? Okay, forget it. Anyways, but... um, 
But we'd drive there, we'd spend some time with my grandmother who had a little place down there. I'll be honest, it was not a luxury vacation. We lived in a single wide trailer, okay? And I remember like 13 or 17 people sleeping in that thing. There's two bedrooms, two beds, and you're like 17 people. There was kids stacked on air mattresses, couches, um, so anyways, we loved it as kids though. It was an absolute blast, but we would go to the beach every single day and get sunburned because I'm fair-skinned, but I loved getting out in the ocean and my parents had a little cheap boogie board. Does anybody know what a boogie board is? Okay, so a little cheap piece of styrofoam that helped you ride the waves. And so I would do that and inevitably within just a few moments of starting to play in the ocean, my parents would reprimand me for drifting down the beach too far away from where they were. And they understood currents and undertoes and sharks and stingrays and all the reasons why I hate the ocean. Okay, like I don't go to the ocean anymore, but they would call us back up. They would say, hey, you've drifted too far. You need to come back up to where we are on the beach. And I was always surprised as a kid how quickly that current would move me down away from where I needed to be. And in this context, I wanna have you hold on to that thought because in, in our culture, in our spiritual standing, if we step into the current, if we step into the ocean, we become unmoored from, from where God wants us to be anchored, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna allow a drift. And I think in some, in some ways, even drifting can happen in the heart and the mind of a believer, even in a church without us noticing it right away. And at times we need to have a wake up call, somebody to call us back and say, hey, you've drifted, you need to come back. So keep that in mind. Let's um, jump into the scripture. I'm gonna go through this quickly. Um, and I realized that there, are, P Pastor Keith gave me a, a book on just the city of Pergamum. It was like, it, it was like that thick, okay? So I'm not intending to water anything down this morning, but I'm going to just drill into a singular thought heart on each of these churches. We're going to look at Pergamum, we're going to look at Thyatira, and we're going to look at Sardis. And I know that there's 50,000 other things that I could talk about, but I'm going to ask for your grace because um, I want to make sure that we get to the heart of this, and I only have about 30 minutes. So this is going to be a tall task, but I think we can do it. So Revelation 2, verse 12, into the angel of the church of Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I wanna pause here and say that this is a picture of Jesus, a holy God. Jesus is not a wimp, he is a warrior. And he is coming to deal with sin. He is coming to deal with evil. And he's already dealing with it on some level, but we have this, this season of choice and free will, but there's coming a day when evil will be dealt with once and for all. And for the believer, that's actually a good day. I'm tired of the brokenness and the sin and the evil that seems so prevalent and honestly seems to be winning at so many levels in our culture and in our country and even in some level in our home and in our churches and, and things of that nature. And I want good righteousness, holiness, justice to prevail. And it seems all, all too often that evil is winning the day. But I wanna give you some hope as a believer, Jesus is coming and he's going to deal with it. And, I, and a word that kind of, I think maybe gives us a nervous twitch at times is the word quarantine, right? Evil will be quarantined and it's in a place called hell. 
and it will be dealt with and, and localized and, and be kept there forever. And, and the object of the wrath of God is not us. The object of God's wrath is evil and Satan and his followers. But if we are caught up in the same rebellion as Satan, if we are caught up, if evil is found in our hearts, and we need to be honest about that, if evil is found in us, we will be caught up in the wrath of God. That's a sober warning. But as a church, we need to have a clear understanding of that reality. Now, again, for the believer, you're not defined by your past. If you've been forgiven, if you've put, a, a, put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says that he has washed us clean. And we're gonna look at that in greater detail today. But let's continue reading. Verse 13, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. How sad is that, is that here in this city, Satan has dominion over the city. He's ruling from there. And there's um, been some research done. There's uh, some pagan temples erected on a hill um, outside of the actual city Pergamum. And this is located in modern day Turkey. Um, back then they referred to it as Asia Minor, but there was pagan worship going on right in the city. In fact, he goes on and he says, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny me, deny my faith, even, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. And some, uh, there's been some uh, evidence discovered that Antipas was a faithful follower of Christ and he was actually burned and killed alive by being put inside of a bull, an idol built to Baal. And they had, a, they had a door in the side of it and they would put people in there, inside of there and literally cook them alive. That's the kind of death Antipas probably died. He stood firm in his faith. And so Jesus is commending him for being a faithful witness. And he says, even though Satan is doing this to you, some of you are faithful, but I do have a few things against you. You have some here who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. The heart of this rebuke is captured by the reference to Balaam and Balak. And if you understand what happened in the Old Testament, these are two characters that played out some key events in the Old Testament. And Balaam was a prophet. He was supposed to curse Israel. He was, he was rebuked or, or prevented from doing that. And so his apprentice, Balak, they trained and worked together to lay what the, the, the writer uses the word here, a stumbling block before the sins of Israel. The actual little, literal word there means a hunter's snare. Any hunters in the room? Three? There's more liars here. I know that there's more than three, okay? Maybe I'm just not seeing your hands. No, I'm kidding. I got the privilege of hunting elk with some guys from the church last year. I learned that I was not in shape like I thought I was. I could not deal with the altitude and the climbing. But um, when you're out hunting, and, I, and probably the, the best way to describe this, my dad and I, we love to hunt turkeys in Western Pennsylvania. There was not mountains, it was just all flat. And uh, we would go sit next to a tree and we would call, we would pretend that we were a lady turkey, basically. And, um, <laughs> We would try to lure and coax and fool this gobbler into thinking he had a date. And he actually did have a date with my dinner table. That's what the date was. But the hunter's snare is the literal word of this. And, and in your notes, you have a section of three strategies that Satan uses. And the first strategy here is the strategy of deception. Know your enemy. Satan is the father of lies. 
And much like a hunter, he will lay a snare. He will make you think that there is something there that is not. And it will be enticing and it will sound good. It will look good. It may even feel good. And he will, he will entice you into that and he will use the tool of deception. Do not be lured or fooled into sin or be fooled or lured into compromise. Jesus actually describes Satan in John 8. He says, Satan is the father of lies. Whenever he speaks, that's all it is. And so often he will start with a lie. That's his first strategy. Now I wanna to jump to Thyatira. We're gonna see a second strategy that he uses there in, in Revelation 2, verse 18. And the angel of the, in the church of Thyatira write, the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. Here's Jesus again. He's coming in strength, power. He said in verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance that your, and that your latter works exceed the first. But again, here's the rebuke. He admonishes, but then he warns. He says this, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Here's a key phrase. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. And this, this, uh, this person is probably a real person in the church here at Thyatira, but it's probably not really, her name is probably not really Jezebel. This is a word used to hearken back to the wife of King Ahab, who again was a king of Israel. And his wife came into that position of influence and power and she did not hide her agenda. She pushed her way in coerced her way in, forced her way in and used the tools of intimidation and fear. And actually the prophets were, of God were running and hiding in caves. She was having them executed. And, and, and here's the second strategy of Satan. He will lie and then he will, uh, 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 keep these alliterated, he will disparage. Another way to think of it, he will accuse, he will bully, he will coerce, he will confront. And again, know your enemy. When Satan, when his lies don't work, he will get more direct. And I haven't lived a long time on this earth, but I've lived long enough to see a change in our culture. The, the things that teenagers that I work with in our youth ministry, what they face today, I didn't face anything like that when I was a kid. The in your face, the direct, the, the agenda of our culture is not hidden. It is plain and there for us to see. And there is, a, there is a coercion to it. Hey, it's either bow or suffer. We even have a phrase for it. It's called cancer, cancel culture. You, you either adhere, you bow, you, you get in line or you're gonna be canceled. We'll threaten your livelihood, your income. We'll do anything we have to do. And even on the crazy edges of this, there's a justification for violence. And so people are responding with violence back and we're caught as a country. And I'm not here to make a political statement necessarily, but I'm here to make a moral statement. As a church, are we gonna, gonna bow or are we gonna stand? And Keith talked about it earlier in the service. Often we are known what we stand against, but are we known for what we stand for? Do we know who we're standing for? Do we know what we stand for? And there is love and grace and in our approach, but there is at some point, we gotta stand for truth. We gotta stand for what is right. 
And here in this church, there seems to be some evidence that there was a fear, a factor of intimidation. And so there were, peop there were people in the church that were bowing to false teaching, sexual immorality, all, all these things out of fear. They're intimidated. The enemy will deceive and then he will disparage. And then thirdly, as we see in Sardis, he will use discouragement. Verse one of chapter three, it says this, and to the angel of the church of Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and what is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Another way to think of discouragement is Satan will wear you out. And if he can't get you to buy into a lie, and if he can't, get you, if he can't bully you or coerce you into something, he will use something a lot more subtle. He'll just try to get you busy. He'll put things in your path, your routine. He'll throw health challenges at you, stress challenges you, fi financial, and he will do his best to wear you out. And when you're weak, sick, tired, isolated, that's when he strikes. What, how is he described as, he's described as a lion hunting, searching the earth, roaming the earth for whom he may devour. Well, how do lions hunt? They don't attack the, the strongest leader of the herd when it's surrounded by all the rest of the, the strength of that, that herd or flock. They wait for one that is sick and tired and lagging behind and they, they seek a way to, to get it alone and isolated. And when that animal is on its own and unable to defend itself, that's when they pounce. And the enemy is looking for ways to get us isolated, to get us tired, to get us worn out so that we're not thinking clearly and we're more easily and vulnerable and we fall prey. Sardis here, they, they did not complete their works. And what does it say? Wake up, what do you do when you're tired? You fall asleep. They had fallen asleep. They had gotten too tired. They hadn't finished well and they had started well, but they hadn't finished. They were found incomplete. So what do we do? How do we approach this as believers? Because this is a warning to them, but it's also a warning to us. We're faced with an enemy who is a liar. He's a bully and he's trying to wear us out. His goal is to destroy us. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't take just a few moments and point out some of the good things that were found in each church. Every church had, a, had an admonishment. Every church did have a rebuke, but then there was a promise to every church of hope. Pergamum, they were admonished. They held fast to the name. They did not deny the faith, even in the face of persecution. It's likely all these churches were facing persecution of the day. And if you go and do any research at all about some of the methods of what was going on, um, we can't imagine. We cannot imagine what some of these people went through. Um, but there were people who, who, who were strong in the face of that. Thyatira, they were faithful in love, faith, service. They did endure. And then, and then Sardis, there was those who are righteous and, and clean and they, they walked in, in white garments and they walked with Christ. But as I said, even though there were some faithful found, there was also a rebuke to every church, Pergamum, they were tolerant of false teaching, of lies, and they had fallen uh, prey, they had fallen into a snare of idolatry and sexual immorality. 
Thyatira, they, again, they, maybe not because of a lie, but maybe because they were pushed into it or bullied into it or felt like they had no other choice, they tolerated a false teacher, a woman uh, referred to as Jezebel, who, who led them into sexual immorality and idolatry. And then Sardis, their state was just simply that of death. He said, you are dead. You're, you're fake. You, 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 claim, you think you're alive, but you're not, and you're incomplete. So wake up. But in every single one of those churches, there's a promise of hope. Pergamum, if you are faithful, if you repent, you will receive the hidden manna, a white stone. Um, uh, that's an interesting um, phrase there because if you study that white stone, what this is likely a reference to is um, the purged record in, in, a, in a legal sense. So if you were um, being tried as a criminal and you went into a court, they would give you this white stone as a, and it was kind of what we would refer to as a clean slate. You were given um, a, a, a verdict of innocence, a verdict of a new name. You were no longer a criminal, but you were uh, in good standing in the community. And Jesus says, if you repent and if you are faithful, you will be given a new name. Your past is not held against you. You will be given a new identity, a new purpose, and you can walk with your head held high. That's the promise. Another promise that he gives, and this is to Thyatira, he says, if you stand firm in the face of opposition, if you do not bow to the coercion and the bullying and the, and the, the, the quote unquote cancel culture of the day, you will be given authority over the nations and the morning star. I think that in our nation, we are, we are seeing a revival, a return to the things of God, not because God has changed or he's doing anything different, but because I believe some of the lies are being dispelled, but I believe also Christians are being faithful in this age to speak the truth. And, and, and we need to continue to do that in a loving and a grace-filled way, but we need to do it in a, in a way of strength as well. And I believe that if we are faithful in this, we will have a voice. How many times have you felt like you're the minority how many times does it feel like evil is winning and Christianity and, the, and the, the remnant is losing? But Christ promises that if we are faithful in the face of this, we are the ones who will be given authority. And so don't take this opportunity lightly. How lucky we are to be alive in 2023. Who says that? But we are lucky to be alive and we have an opportunity. We are here for a reason, a purpose. God picked you. He, he, he saw you and he says, I need them to be there in Idaho in 2023 to do something, to, to, to wield authority, spiritual authority, to make a difference in that time and place. And if we are faithful, it will be given to us. You don't have to try to earn a position or a title. It's not about pleasing the people around you, but if you're faithful to God, he says that he will give you authority. How cool is that? Okay, I burned a lot more calories in that last few moments than you seem to think. Um, I thought that was pretty good. Anyways. And then Sardis, he says, white garments, I will write the name, your name in the book of life and I'll honor you before the angels. How cool is it to know that our name is written down? He knows who we are. We're not a faceless crowd. He knows who you are and your name is found in the book of life. And then it goes on, he says, and I will never blot it out. More than that, when you stand before the father, I will stand right with you and I will say, this is my son, this is my daughter. They deserve your honor and welcome them into your kingdom. That's a pretty cool thought too. That's what the promise of being faithful is. Yeah, you can give... 
Give him praise for that. But if we compromise, we lose all of that. If we compromise, if we're unrepentant, if we're rebellious, if we, are, if we are living in our own way, if we fall prey to the traps and the lies and the deception of the enemy, we don't have that promise. And, and oftentimes there's what I call a slow fade. Nobody wakes up one day and goes, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow my marriage apart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit a bunch of crime and I'm just gonna like ruin my reputation. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, that's my plan for today. But it starts with a temptation, a lure, a snare, something that is deceptive. And, and maybe, maybe then it's not even that deceptive, but we start flirting with it and we start getting too close. And then we start rationalizing and making excuses. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I know it's kind of like anti-God or against my principles. I know that I probably shouldn't laugh at that. I probably shouldn't accept that. I probably shouldn't allow that in my home but it's not that bad. I mean, like there's some other good things that they do. And, and by the way, if you try to analyze every single company that you can buy from, we're all just going to Hobby Lobby and that's it. Like basically, <laughs> like, and the last I checked, they don't sell like clothes and stuff. Although I don't go there, maybe they do, I don't know. And so I'm not here to be your Holy Spirit and I'm not gonna, I'm, I don't want you to go home and go through your bank account and see like, well, who does this company support? The reality is I don't, I don't know how to tell you how to live that way, but here's what I will say. We need to be honest and open and humble enough to say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? I, I want you to be King and Lord in this area of my life. And if you call me to do something, I will do it. That is the antidote. That's the opposite of compromise. And you don't have to live in fear and worry about where your money goes and what it supports if you are sold out, if you're 100% under the Lordship of Christ. Here's what I will say. I think that as Christians though, we've gotta, we've gotta stand for something. If we don't stand for something, we will fall for everything. We've got to have principles. We've got to know what we're standing for, why we're standing for it, and, and, and have a reason, have, a, have, a, have an answer for people who question. And so we have a responsibility to think about this. And when it comes to the root of compromise, I, in my study, I came across some notes from Craig Rochelle, and he talked about this in his book, uh, The Power to Change. And he makes the case that the reason that people so many times can't break free of old habits and old temptations and old lies and old addictions is, is because of the way we think and view ourselves. And he says this, he says, you do what you do because you, of what you think of you. And I know that sounds like Dr. Seuss, so let me say that again. <laughs> you do what you do because of what you think of you. Psychologists, this is secular research, and it's always funny to me when um, secular science catches up to the Bible and they finally discover what the Bible has said all along. I think that's great. But secular psychologists tell us that when we're faced with a decision, a situation, we subconsciously, as humans, we ask ourselves three questions. We don't think about it this concretely, but this is what goes on in our minds. We ask ourselves, who am I? And then that's quickly followed by the second question of what kind of situation is this? And then the third question is, what would someone like me do in a situation like this? And that 
progression, whatever we believe about ourselves and about the situation, it could be false, it could be true, but that tends to play itself out in our response, that progression. And so here's, if you wanna know, okay, how, how do I know if I'm compromising? How, am I, how, how do I know that I'm not? We need to think about who we are. Who we think we are is the root of compromise. And if you have bought a lie or maybe you've been bullied by the enemy or discouraged or worn out and you've started to believe something about yourself and you've taken on an identity that is not who God says you are, it's gonna be really hard to break free. In fact, I would say it's impossible. We need a transformation. And I mentioned, isn't it cool when science catches up to what the Bible says? Here's what Paul wrote about this process in Romans 12. And you know this verse, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't compromise, don't tolerate anything. But how do you fight against this? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 8, he goes on, he says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We gotta, learn, we gotta change the way we think. And again, how do we do this? It's not in our own strength. We gotta feed what we want to grow and starve what we want to die. And that's giving ourselves a steady diet of scripture, worship, prayer, time with God. There's no substitute for that. He goes on, he says in 2 Corinthians, this is Apostle Paul again, we destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then for my King James Version friends out there, I love Proverbs 23, seven, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Who we think we are so often plays itself out in what we do. And if we're frustrated with what we do, we need to have our mind transformed so that we begin to think differently about who we are. Pastor Keith always, he talks about this phrase, information plus application equals transformation. Well, if we have wrong information, it's gonna result in bad application and it's gonna result in a transformation towards death, not life. And so we've got to get right information. We've got to think differently. And here's what makes complete sense to me. And this is just an elementary thought. But if you want to understand how something works, you go to the inventor, the designer, the person who created it to understand its purpose and how to best use it. And so, so often when it comes to this, uh, this uh, the subject of identity, our culture is so programmed to find our, our, our purpose and our identity inside of our own feelings, inside of ourselves. In fact, we've gotten to a dangerous place where we can just make that up. We can just be whoever we are. We can do whatever we want. And, we, and it's, it's cute in the fairy tales with, where it just says, believe in your heart and you can be anything you want. If you just dream big or whatever. Let's go to God and ask him who we are. And I've done a little bit of work for you. I wanna give you, this is who God says the believer is in his word. These are the labels he gives you. And so when you're tempted to buy the labels of the enemy or culture, or maybe you've been raised in an environment where somehow the enemy had a foothold and you, you had parents or friends or siblings that put labels on you and you live by those today. There's some horrific stories. Um, I just heard one this week where um, uh, uh, we just celebrated adoption and this, there was this poor kid born in the 50s and he was passed around from foster home to foster home and those homes were worse 
than the abusive ones that he was taken from by the state. Um, fortunately, I, I can't, don't have time to tell the whole story, but fortunately he was adopted by a Christian family who loved him. And, and this day, he, uh, he, there is estimated he's spoken and shared the gospel with two million people through his church. I should have done more research and gotten his name, but that just came to me. But my point is, there were labels put on him and for, for the majority of his childhood, he thought he was a loser and he would never amount to anything and he was just a piece of garbage. Thank God that someone was there in his life to speak the truth of God into his heart and life and change the trajectory of everything. And some of you may be sitting here today and you're like, well, I'm not worth anything. I don't have much to offer and I don't have... The, the resources, the abilities, or the skills, or, or what have you. Here's, if you're in Christ, here's who he says you are. In Isaiah 62, he says you're sought after. Isaiah 43, you're precious in his sight. 2 Corinthians 5, you're a new creation in Christ. Uh, Romans 8, you're not condemned. Colossians 1, you're forgiven. 1 John 3, you're loved. Romans 15, you're accepted. For, uh, John 1, child of God. John 15, you're a friend of Jesus. John 8, you're free. 1 Corinthians 6, you're a temple of God. Deuteronomy 7, you're a treasured possession. Colossians 2, you're complete in Christ. Colossians 3, you are chosen. 2 Timothy 1, you are called. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, you're an ambassador of the most high God. Ephesians 2, you're God's masterpiece. Uh, Philippians 4, able to do all things through Christ. And Romans 8, more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves you. Come on. That's who God says we are. If we're in him, that's who he says we are. That's what he thinks of us. So in closing, in the last just few minutes, I gotta hurry, but I wanna give you three ways that I think we can stand. Just practically simple thoughts of how I believe we can stand in this identity that Christ has called us to. First of all, I think we can stand in prayer. Stand in prayer. This is how we fight against the lies of the enemy. In Ephesians 6, it says, put on the full armor of God. And when the day of evil comes, you, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, what do you do? You stand again. And then after that, you continue to stand. <laughs> stand in prayer. Stand in the strength of God. Stand in prayer. I, I would say, secondly, stand for your purpose. Stand for the purpose that he has given you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. There it is again. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And uh, it, as the next gen guy, um, if you're feeling like you're not sure where you can stand or serve, kids ministry will take you. We will take you. Um, even if you feel guilted into it, I will take you. No, I'm joking about that. But um, there is a role for us to play. And I talked about this. Once we understand our, our identity, we will have a purpose. We will have a calling to live out. And so stand in that. Some of you may be standing in, it's in your business. It's not even inside these four walls. It'd be great if that was the case, but it doesn't have to be. It can be in your business. It can be in your home. It can be wherever. Maybe it's just your place of employment or we have some men that, um, and people that work in our government, our local, uh, our city leadership and all of that. Whatever opportunities are before you, see it as an opportunity to give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, stand in your purpose. And then finally, this is just a simple thought, stand for God. Just stand for God. 
The world knows what we stand against all too often, but are we standing for God? And I, I came across this, this is super cool thought, and this is not original to me. Um, I heard another pastor say it, so I have to give him credit. But where is Jesus? Where's Jesus right now? And I know that God is omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful, um, everywhere at once. And so I know that Jesus is here. But in scripture, where is Jesus described to be? And if you look through Hebrews and the New Testament, you come across this phrase, and it's, I have one for you, Colossians 3.1. It says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Traditionally, this is where Christ, if he has a location, this is how it's described, seated at the right hand of God. And every time you kind of read this phrase where Jesus is in heaven, he's seated, but he does stand at least one time. And in Acts 7.55, it says Stephen, who is the very first martyr for the Christian New Testament faith, being full of the, full, of the Holy Spirit, he looked up into heaven. And if you understand what's happening, he's being stoned at this time. They would tie, um, the, the, what we think may have happened was he was tied to a pole and literally stoned to death. And he, they would literally pile the rocks up over so you couldn't see him anymore. It's a horrible way to die. And as this is happening to him, he has a vision and it says that he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And here's the thought I wanna leave you with today. We're not being stoned. We're not being persecuted in the sense, in that sense. It, it could, be, could be coming, I don't know. But here's the simple question. Is the way that I live, does the way that I live bring Jesus to his feet? I don't know if you've had the privilege to be in a place where someone just by walking in the room, people just begin to stand and honor. I've been a part of a few moments like that where people of authority or position or title, or maybe it was just something that they had done or accomplished and people stood and gave them honor. But how cool is it to know that Jesus, he stands in honor of some things. He stood in honor of Stephen and maybe this is the way I'll end is when, when we stand for Christ, he stands, he stands with us. When we stand for Christ, I believe he stands with us. There's a lot of people going through some tough, tough times and you're wondering why. God, what, what is your plan and purpose in all this? I think he's standing with you. I think of Wendy and Kevin Burkholz and what they're going through. I believe Christ is standing. He's with them. I think of other people, and I don't know your story, but maybe you're walking through a valley and you're like, God, you know, I'm trying to be faithful. What, what is going on? He's standing with you. We, when it, it's confusing and it doesn't make sense, but you're committed to him and you're being faithful and you're not bowing and you're not compromising, I believe Christ is standing with you. Yes. And at the end of my life, I'm ashamed to admit that I, I, if I look at my life and I look at my past, I'll say, well, Christ didn't stand in that moment. That's for sure. But my citizenship is not here. I have to have an eternal perspective. I'm not an American first. I'm not a father first, a husband first. I'm a, a Christ follower first. That's gotta be my eternal perspective. And if I live that way, 
I know Jesus is standing with me. And here's my simple challenge to you. Are you living in a way that Jesus has stood for you? I don't know how better to say that. And so here's what I will just end with. If you're not sure where you stand with Christ, if you've never stood for him and you're not sure he's standing for you, I would invite you to to make that The Bible says there's a simple act of faith, a simple trust of faith where we can begin a relationship with Christ. We have a team here that can help answer any questions or doubts you may have. But as believers, if you have made that decision, I want you to know that Christ is standing with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and how you encourage the heart of the believer that we go through sometimes that are confusing and hard to us often put into words how we feel and and then it's hard to even know what next step to take. But Lord, I believe that if we are committed to you and if we are are under your lordship, you will guide us and you are standing with us in those moments. So Lord, I pray for continued endurance. I pray for truth to reign supreme against the enemy's lies. I pray that we would not be coerced or bullied into any kind of compromise. And Lord, I pray at the end of our lives, you would honor us, we would have that hope. Um, that you will honor us before the Father, before the angels. That's what we're living for. So keep that perspective in our minds first and foremost. And Lord, receive all the praise and the glory from how we live, from our words, from our actions, from everything about us. May you receive the glory from it all. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I'm gonna dismiss you. And... uh, Um, I would just remind you, if you want to know about the the land project or the offering, um, the pledge offering, um, just ask us. There's boxes in the back. With that, you're dismissed. Um, Thank you so much for being here and giving us your kind attention. We'll see you next week.